If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. The glimmer of hope was the last game of the season when I put all my catcher's gear in a trash can and I lit it on fire in, in the outfield as the as our outfield coordinator was there watching me do it. Welcome into another episode of Baseball America's From Phenom to the Farm. I'm your host, Kyle Banduho. Today we are talking to former big league catcher, 2007 Mountain West Player of the Year, and recently named hitting coach of the Albuquerque Isotopes, Jordan Pacheco. Jordan wrapped up his career after 14 years in professional baseball this past season and joined us to look back at his career and talk his transition into the coaching field. Jordan's an Albuquerque, New Mexico native, so we talked about his time at the University of New Mexico, what it's like attending college and playing for your hometown school, when we dive in deep on his conversion to catching in pro ball, something that if, if you listen to the clip opening this episode was definitely not Jordan's idea. He goes into how he took that direction and how to learn life behind the plate when you're getting back there for the first time in pro ball. It was a great conversation. Jordan's a really great guy, someone who I think is going to have a lot of success as a coach. Really happy that he was able to join us for this episode. Episodes of From Phenom to the Farm drop every other Tuesday. If you enjoy this one, subscribe wherever you get your podcast and go check out past interviews. They're all pretty much evergreen. And if you haven't yet, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Also, make sure to subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com and the BA Podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news. College baseball, it's officially back, folks. It is just the best time of the year. Teddy and Joe are recapping week one. It's just great stuff. Uh, couldn't be happier about the return of college baseball. Head on over to BaseballAmerica.com to get up to speed on everything going on, recaps of the weekend's games, new top 25, everything you need. Uh, with that, let's talk to Jordan Pacheco. Joining in for today's episode from Phenom to the Farm, he was a ninth-round pick of the Rockies in the 2007 draft out of the University of New Mexico, former big league utility guy, current hitting coach for the Albuquerque Isotopes, Jordan Pacheco. Jordan, thanks so much for joining from Phenom to the Farm. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, of course. Me too, especially uh, we've gone back and forth on yeah. when we're doing this. So <laughs> I'm glad to finally uh, finally be doing it. I want to I want to jump right into it. Yep, uh, when it. did you first realize you had a future at the next level, whether that be D1 or Pro Bowl? Uh, man, I, I never really, I kind of just 
I kind of just kept going, right? It wasn't something that I kind of wanted to always do. I never, I mean, I always wanted to be in the NBA. I wanted to be a basketball player, but that <laughs> height and some other things weren't going to allow that to happen. So, uh, so yeah, man, but I, I love baseball. I love competing and I kind of just took it day by day. And that's always what my dad always said. Hey, just take it day by day. And kind of after high school, I got a chance to play at the university of New Mexico and, you know, it, being a hometown guy, I didn't think anything of it. I was just going to stay and play and, you know, played well and got some chances. And then it kind of just, you know, it, it went on from there and then I got drafted and, and then you're in the farm system and then you're kind of back at ground zero. And then you just do the same thing. You just keep playing and keep playing. And I really didn't think I was going to get a chance until I got called up. And then that's kind of when everything kind of happened. Well, back into growing up in in Albuquerque in New Mexico, being that local guy, New Mexico baseball culture in general, just really, really a come up in terms of prospects in the past 20 years, kind of along with the rise of UNM baseball, um, you know, this is especially, you know, the when Ray Birmingham took over kind of. Um, you know, they, they definitely made some noise, but, but prospects guys made to the big leagues, you, um, Alex Bregman's New Mexico mm -hmm. native, Swihart, Trevor Rogers, Matt Moore. Is, is that just luck with some good DNA showing up in New Mexico it, or is baseball as a whole kind of improved in the state? I definitely think baseball as a whole. And I think you, you got to thank kind of the, the coaches who kind of stuck around or came back or kind of passed on their knowledge who might've got just a, the collegiate level or even some pro ball. You know, I remember being around some guys you know, like Scott Candelaria, who, who had got some pro, um, a little bit of pro time. And, you know, just you, you see that you go, okay, that guy played at the next level. And you, you know, you kind of just, you go, okay, well, maybe I can do that, you know, possibly someday, but, you know, and then you just get a good group and you get a good group that kind of all, all has the same mindset. They want to work, they want to be the best they can be and they want to win and you have fun and you keep challenging each other. And, that's kind of what, how I think it happens. It was just all organic and you got the right people. I think there's a lot of luck to do with it and just being in the right place at the right time. So I do think there's a lot of luck. I think it's a lot of, you know, just finding the right friends. That's, that's what they say nowadays, finding the right friends. Well, growing up was, was UNM your favorite school as a kid? Like, did you grow up rooting for the Lobos or did, did that become a relationship that only happened when they started recruiting? <laughs> No, I actually, I, I did root for the Lobos. Not much, so much baseball, though. Um, I know you're kind of, you're probably familiar with the pit, the basketball when I was growing up was was legendary and it was it was big time. And my dad and I would always go to the basketball games. And so he was, he, my dad played at New Mexico State, so he was an Aggie. So, you know, I didn't have, I, <laughs> us going to Lobo games wasn't anything. So, um, but yeah, it was awesome. We got to go to Lobo games. So I became a fan of Lobo basketball, but Never so much level baseball. I didn't, you know, went to a couple games, but nothing like level basketball. You you ended up you you pitched and hit a little bit. You you pitched a little bit in college. You're mainly a hitter, but in high school, did you have a preference? Like, and in, in, were you better as a hitter or on the mound? Oh man, I I I definitely was a better pitcher. I would say I, I got recruited a lot more to pitch. I I got a couple teams very interested at the pro level that wanted me to pitch and, and, and get drafted out of high school. But it, it wasn't something that I, for some reason, I just didn't, I, it wasn't something I wanted to do. I had been a basketball player my whole life. I wanted to compete like every play, every day, every day. And I knew that 
if I went to the pitching side, that wasn't going to be able to happen. It was going to be one every five days or, you know, out of the bullpen every once in a while. And I still wanted to hit. I loved hitting. It's something that I grew up doing and I believed in myself that I could hit. I kind of got a chip on my shoulder when they didn't want me to hit. And I was like, okay, well, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to go hit and see what happens. Well, with um, with out of state interest in recruiting, I mean, it you know, you grew up in New Mexico. There's really two options, like you said. There's UNM and the Aggies to uh, to play Division One baseball. So, with when out of state interest comes calling, what kind of what was your recruitment cycle like? How how much did you consider leaving New Mexico to go to college? It was really, it was honestly, it was kind of an easy choice because mostly everywhere that I got recruited, and I got recruited some pretty nice schools that some people would you know would love to go play at but they, they just wanted me to pitch. And that was something that wasn't on my heart. It wasn't something that I wanted to do. I, I still wanted to play every day. I still had the kid, like, I, I want to play baseball. I don't want to just go and pitch. I want to play. I want to hit. So, and UNM was literally the only one that <laughs> was going to let me do that. And so it made my choice pretty easy. Um, and, you know, that was just, that was just something I saw. I was like, man, it's kind of a God thing. God wants me to stay here. I, you know, he's giving me the only option. And that's kind of what it happens when God gives you the only option you go, okay, I guess I got to, that's the one. Well, that was, it ended up being the UNM's benefit, but what are, what are the pros and cons of, of going to school in your hometown? Cause I went to school about four hours away from my hometown. <laughs> I went back once in the fall and then I said, I'm never doing this, never doing this again, never coming <laughs> back for a weekend. So I'm sure there are some advantages though, of being close to home. There are. I mean, my parents were 10 minutes away. Like I'm coming home and I'm doing my laundry or making my parents. I was going to say, how much laundry did you bring home? (laughs) Every Sunday I got, I got my, you know, my Dion's fix, which it's a pizza place here that everybody loves. And I would, my parents would do my laundry. So that's, that's a key. I think too, you, you got friends already, you know, and you got a lot of friends that stay here. So you kind of already kind of have a community you know where not to go, especially now with Kirk, you know where to go, you know, the lay of the land. Um, so it's kind of like, you don't, you, you, it was, it was kind of like, it was just baseball still. Like I'm just going to be focused on baseball and I didn't have to worry about everything else. I knew everything about the the city. I knew what was good and what was bad. And I didn't have to deal with getting, you know, acclimated to that or finding friends or, you know, being homesick. I just had to play baseball. So I think there was a lot of positives um, and I think that's kind of what ultimately led me to getting drafted. That was comfortable. I just, I, it was just continuing what I did in high school. Well, I'm always interested in the first, the first fall ball, because that's like, it's the competition jump. Obviously you're facing probably, mm-hmm. you know, some of the consistently the, the best guys you've ever faced in your life, jumping into that. You're learning how to live on your own. You, but <laughs> for you, you've got, you've got the comfort a little bit of being, right. you know, being a little close to home, but it's just a, it's college, this different level of commitment in baseball. And it's, it's also so long from the season started. Mm-hmm. Like it's the fall ball <laughs> feels know. like it takes, feels like it takes, yeah, it feels like you it know. takes forever. <laughs> All freshmen, I think react differently. Yeah. Like yeah. some, some guys, what, you know, looking back with the lens of, of an older guy who went mm-hmm. through it now, what kind of freshman are you, especially as the guy who you kind of had to prove yourself as a hitter, I guess, because right. everyone else wanted you to pitch. Right. Uh, yeah. I, you know, actually college was, was really good for me. Um, and I see, you know, that was something I saw, especially once I got into pro ball, some of these young guys, they were kind of thrown right into the fire. They had to live on their own. They had to kind of find a routine. They had to learn how to be accountable. They had to learn how to be disciplined. 
Um, but, but, you know, like you, you go to college baseball, it's structured. It is you're, you got five forty-five weights. You got to be at school. You got to be at study hall. You got to be making sure you're getting your work done. Then you got to be at early work and then you got to be at practice. And then you got to be doing your homework afterwards. And it's just so much structure that that was really awesome for me. It, it taught me how to be disciplined, taught me how to be accountable. And those were some of the best lessons that I learned. And I mean, you, you can probably attest to that. It's just, you just become a, you know, you become a grown man. You got thing, you got business to handle. So I think that helped me, especially getting into pro ball. That had already been done. I, I knew I knew how to handle my business and I knew what made me a good baseball player and I knew what made me a bad baseball player. When I was older or when I, when I was a freshman, one of the older guys, uh, like one of the, one of the upperclassmen told me like, you know, pick the brain of whoever you could just kind of watch the older guys do what they do, you know, pick that stuff up. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of value in just watching how older hitters went about things. So an, an older guy, you know, he can't tell you like how to hit, can't tell you to get in the box and do this, do that. But what, you know, what as a freshman, could you pick up from older guys? Like where, where's the value in that? And just watching how guys go about their business as a hitter. Yeah. I, I think it's a, it's a value at every level. And it was a value, especially like once you get into pro ball, just guys that have been there before you see how they handle failure. I think that's the biggest thing. Um, because that's ultimately what the game of baseball is. It's just failure. And there are, there is success, but um, you know, it's, it's mostly failure. And I think that was the first thing I realized is how, how they handled that. And, and you got to, like I said, it, college turns you into a, it turns you into a man and you're not going to, you're, you're never going to go for an O for like you do in college. Like you, you never experience one until you get to college and where you're going over 20 and you know, the world's collapsing in on you <laughs> and you think it's the, it's the end. Um, so yeah, I think just that and, and just having guys that, you know, understood what you're going through, like every, it's a big change and being able to look up the guys who, who had done it and, you know, all conference guys and just, you're just watching them. You're, you're just being very, um, you know, you know, you just, you're just watching them all the time and just how they handle their business. And I think that's just the biggest thing. Well, you mentioned stuff about going like over 20 and having, you know, most, most freshmen take their lumps if they even get in the lineup at all. Right. You hit, you hit 408. <laughs> uh, does, it, you turn in a freshman season like that, and so suddenly you're you're not the guy who should have gone to pitch somewhere. You're a hitter. You're dude in that lineup that that sets expectations for your next two years. Does does turning in a season like that does it ease pressure? Like, did you go into your sophomore year a lot more relaxed because you had that under your belt, or does it? Do you feel a little bit more heat of like I hit four oh eight. I've I've got to hit four ten. Like, yeah, man, it, you do like, you don't, you've never done that at that level. And all of a sudden you come in and you're a freshman. I, I, I think the good thing about my freshman year was my, my freshman fall was horrible and it wasn't good at all. Uh, I don't know if I got a hit. I got maybe a couple little bleeders during fall practice. And I remember coming back um, in the spring and not really knowing that I was going to play like really like going from mom, I'm going to be the starting second baseman to, I don't know if I'm even going to play to, you know, you know, doing that. So, yeah, you know, um, but yeah, I think when you, after doing that, yeah, I definitely felt the pressure. I was like, man, I gotta, I gotta, 
I got to hit 430 or I got to hit 500. And I don't think I had the best sophomore year. It was definitely one of my toughest years. It's like the sophomore slump, they call it. I guess it is. And it was a tough year. I mean, I, I think I still was like all conference, but that's Mountain West, right? So it's a hitters conference. You should be hitting well. Um, but yeah, so that was my first experience with pressure, which was good. Like I said, college turns you into a, a man, turns you into a baseball. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna make it in college, you you know you're gonna be all right. So yeah, I felt the pressure, and I yeah, I kind of caved a little bit in the beginning. And, but I, I think I finished strong and I learned a lot and I came back my junior year and I said, I, you know, I sat down kind of with myself and said, I'm going to be the player of the year. Like, that's it. Like, if I don't do that, I'm not going to play anymore. Like, that's my goal. And so it, it gave me a lot of motivation and it just, you know, I think it put my expectations even higher for the next year. I want to touch on you saying that the Mountain West is a is a hitters conference. Uh, obviously, Albuquerque, the, Albuquerque, the balls well is kind of known for flying right. there. Um, both when UNM plays there, the AAA games, um, and then now, especially what you're doing, you're the AAA coach for team and the hitting mm-hmm. coach for the team in Albuquerque. You know, trying to send guys off to a park that is also notable for <laughs> the, ball, the ball flying, and a lot of a lot of parks like that in the Mountain West. You know, college yeah. baseball, different park factors when you get into the minor leagues as well. Does right does hitting in a hitter's park, does it change your mindset in the box? Like say, even if it's like a a park on the road, Mm -hmm. you know, you guys, Hey, we're going, we're going here this weekend. You know, we got a series this weekend. Are you changing what you're doing in the box because of park factors? Uh, I mean, I think you could, I think you could definitely nowadays based on, you know, the pitcher and maybe your swing, maybe you can do some things differently. Uh, But I think what that does is it, just the confidence level right away in your brain. Like, okay, if I'm struggling and we're going to a hitter's park, okay, you can breathe a little bit. You know, you're, you're struggling and you go to a pitcher's park, you know, you're like, Oh man, this is going to be a long, long series. So yeah, I think, you know, your, your mindset changes. I think you get a little more energy when you go to a hitter's park. You're like, I can do some damage right now, even if you're struggling. And I think that's kind of always been my mindset, you know, definitely playing at UNM was always like, Hey, well, we get home to Isotopes Park, like I can do some damage there. So yeah, you do. But I think, yeah, I think nowadays you can change. I think a lot of guys too, they might change their approach, especially certain pitchers that they've seen before based on some horizontal and vertical movement that we got, you know, they might, they might try to do some different things. So a lot of, a lot of data influencing that. What, what you're trying to do at the dish. So there you go. your, your summers, your summers in college, do I have this right? You did time in the Northwoods and in the Cape. I did. I did both. What are, I guess, you know, pros and cons of each. I think you're one of the few guys I've, you know, the Cape is obviously the Cape. It's got yeah. all the prestige. I've never heard a bad thing about playing in the Northwoods. Everyone I know who's played there has, has had a great time, different vibes, I think in each. Mm-hmm. Um, what are kind of the, the pros and cons of each or how do they stack up against each other in terms of experience? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And I, I loved both the leagues. I think I loved my, I think right after my freshman year going to the Northwoods league, cause they, that was kind of hyped up that this is like pro ball. You play every day. I think you play, I think we played like 68 games in 70 days or something like that it was a grind like especially after a college season they're like oh this is gonna get you ready for pro ball i'm like well i'm not going to pro ball anytime soon <laughs> i don't know if i'm even gonna go like i don't know if i need this yeah uh, all the northwoods guys get back to school late they're all like yeah they're all week late and they haven't put down a baseball since january 
<laughs> they're like, what did I just do? Um, so yeah, like that, I, I love that league though. I, the fans were great. Um, the competition was good, but obviously, you know, the Cape is something as a, as a, and once you kind of get into college and we've all, you know, we've all seen, um, summer catch. So we're all like, yeah, man, we got to get to, we got to get to Cape Cod league. Um, all the girls look like Jessica yeah, Biel. Yeah, you know, everybody's <laughs> trying to find their Jessica Biel. <laughs> so, yeah, man, it, it was good. And the competition was great. And you kind of looking back on, you know, you look back on the team. I think we, we I didn't, don't think, but we won the the whole thing. And that was unbelievable. And, you know, the guys on my team that, you know, I got to play with, I got to play against at that time. And then you got to play with them in the big leagues. It's like, man, it's just a special, it's a special league and the fee, they, they haven't changed it. And that's why I think it keeps its kind of prestige and it's so special. And that's why I think people love it. Were you thinking about what your defensive home might be in pro ball at, at any point? Cause I mean, I'm sure after you hit 408 as a freshman, you got to at least be like, you know, I'm probably getting drafted at some point. What, <laughs> what were your feelings? You know, you're, you're playing infield at UNM. What were your feelings on, on where did you think like, was that was that even a, really a thought in your mind of where you'd actually play in in professional baseball? Yeah. Uh, well, while you were in college, were you giving it any thought? Um, not really. I, you know, I, I kind of fell into that place of you know second base, and you know, I I I played a little bit in high school, second, played some short, some outfield, um, but kind of found a home at second base, and I was comfortable there. So I think, yeah, like, you know, you daydream a little bit and be like, man, I could be, be a, you know, second baseman maybe in the big league someday, maybe, you know, that's, that's what I, that's what I see. So, yeah, I think you, you do day, daydream about it. Uh, but I never would have thought, you know, my, I would have gone on the roller coaster of positions that I, <laughs> that I ended up going on um, when I was in college. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I can't wait to get into that, but let's, <laughs> let's get into this junior year. Uh, which you know turned into banner year, really made good on that freshman year. How are you getting pitched as a junior versus versus a freshman? Like, was there a noticeable difference for that? I think there is. Like, yeah, there definitely is. You, they're they're being a little more careful. Um, I think, you know, you might be seeing a little more off speed, but you know, I, I think well, it's it's hard to say. It was a long time ago. <laughs> um longer than you'd care to admit yeah long yeah yeah um but yeah i think you do get you get pitched differently but it's a game of adjustments and that happens you know that happens all the time it's not especially when you're doing well like they're going to keep throwing different stuff at you and i think i kind of experienced that right out the gate my freshman year and i was kind of able to kind of stay ahead of it somehow um you know whether it was just you know trusting my gut on certain things or or you know just studying the you know what pitcher we were facing like that was you know but definitely my junior year yeah it was a little you know you're getting pitched differently you're getting you're getting walked a little bit more and guys are being careful but again they still got to throw it over the plate and you still got to hit it and you know a, a good hitter when he's locked in it's it's tough to get him out uh, Mountain West that year had both Jake Arietta and a, a freshman Steven Strasburg. Did you <laughs> did you dig in against both? I, I did. I I got to I got to dig in against both, and 
Um, actually, um, my freshman year, we had Justin Matt Masterson too. He was with San Diego state bowling ball. Oh State. man. He was unbelievable. That was probably, if I had like that guy in, in was very tough for me to face and nothing. I, yeah. So he, he was a tough one to face, but yeah, I got to face Strasburg. Actually we had, I had heard like how they have this, he was closing at the time. So he wasn't starting. He was just as a freshman, he was coming in closing games and they were like, Oh, we, you know, we have this, uh, and this guy who throws a hundred out of the pen. I was like, Oh no, you guys don't. Then he came out of the pen and he was throwing a hundred and I was like, okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to dig in against that. Um, and yeah, definitely, you know, Jake Carrietta, TCU, he, you know, and I think he, I don't, I can't remember. I can't remember what he was a junior. Was he a junior or I think, I think he was, he did the year in junior college. And then I, right. I, I think that was his draft year. Yeah. 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 And I think he kind of had a down year that year. I think he, I think he, he obviously turned out to be a lot better than a lot of people expected. So, um, but I remember facing him too. We got to face him a couple of times and got to face him in the big leagues. I got to face Strasburg in the big leagues. So, which, which was cool, you know, facing guys in college and then in the big leagues, it's, that's something cool. Yeah. Well, in that, in that junior year, it was, uh, your 07 year it was the, the last year at UNM for, uh, for your coach, Rich Holiday, mm-hmm. who passed away last year. What, um, you know, from everything I heard about him, New Mexico institution, um, great guy to play for what, what in your mind, just beyond the baseball does, did coach bring to you and can a good college coach bring to a program? He was a, he was just a good human being. Like that's all, I mean, that's all you really need to say about coach all day. He, and he had the experience he's coached for forever and he coached a lot of good players and, but he was just a good human being. You get to the field and you, you know, you're getting rich all day. That's, that's who you're getting. Like you're not getting anybody else. It doesn't, it doesn't matter, man. You're getting him and he's gonna, he's gonna challenge you for sure. And, but you know, he, he was just a good human. That's, that's all you really need to say about him. And, you know, uh, I do miss him. He would always come to um, spring training in Tucson when I was there and he would always come like, give me a call when I was playing, we'd come play games. We still had, a, I think a triple A team in Tucson when I would come and play down there. And so he was always, he was always staying in touch with me. And, and yeah, I mean, baseball community is going to miss him. New Mexico is going to miss that guy. And just, just, just the person he, he was, it was unbelievable. When your last year for him, you did, you won, you know, Mount West conference player of the year honors, you, you know, fulfilled what you wanted to do. Do you, do you know where the trophy is or whatever, whatever they give you for that? Do you know where it is? <laughs> I do actually know where it is. They give you, they actually give you a really sweet, um, a glove. It's like almost like a gold glove and it's bronze and it's really heavy. It's huge. And actually I just, I have it actually in my, I have to brag about something. So I, I leave it in my bar. So when guys come, you know, they ask, you know, what's that? Oh, that's just, yeah. I got a player of the year award one time. So I, I mean, it's, I mean, it's a great thing. Yeah. It's a great thing to have. They give you a nice one. You might as well display yeah, it. Yeah. If it wouldn't, um, if it was little like plastic or a piece of paper, it probably wouldn't be up. So, but it's up there. One of the uh, one of the plastic little league trophies. Yeah, if it was that. Well, I probably yeah, probably wouldn't put it up. So since you've left, like you you guys you guys started something while you're you know, but since you've left the the baseball program has kind of reached new heights. Um, you know, conference championships, NCAA tournament appearances, revamped stadium, 
um, some first round picks. Is it all pride when you look back at university? Is there any jealousy? Like, cause I, my, you know, the school I went to is now playing their, their games in a nice park and they're yeah. getting nicer gear. And I'm just like, man, these kids, <laughs> these kids don't know. They don't, they don't know what you went through. Huh? No, not at all. They don't know like the cotton t-shirts that you were given. They're, they're all in dry fits the, the, now. The cotton t-shirts. They don't know the kind of field work we had to do when they weren't playing all their games on a minor league park. They, they just don't get it. They don't know about picking up rocks and raking and all that stuff. Uh, you and I'm, I'm, I don't know if, if Drew or if our mutual friend ever passed on our field work stories from, but I bet you guys didn't have to do that in New Mexico either. We had, Oh we, man, uh, we went through it. But when, when you look back at, at what you and M has accomplished mm-hmm. since you've left, is it, is it, is it all pride? Is there any jealousy? Um, no, I mean, it's, that's how it should be. I, that's really it. The program should keep getting better and better and better at the, that's the only way you're going to get better players, especially in college is, is the facilities need to get nicer. And I can remember when I was there my freshman year and I still don't know. I mean, I know why I chose the university of New Mexico, but going in some of these other locker rooms that, you know, maybe an LSU or a Texas, you know, a Texas A&M and then going to the university of New Mexico locker room at the time, you would have thought I was crazy on choice I made, but, you know, now it's, it's how it should be. That's how a division one program should be. They should have nice locker rooms. They should have a nice field. They should have a nice stadium. They should get the things that help them recruit. And those are the things that help them recruit. And so, yeah, I would always though joke with um, um, the assistant coach at the time who was there, Hawk, I mean, coach Hawk. And I'd always text him and I'd be like, man, I never got any gear like that when I was there. So he would always send me a, a gift package every year that had to updated sweatsuit that, you know, I was going into, you know, six years ago, you know, sweatsuit and trying to match the pants with the top <laughs> and a triple X <laughs> bottom with a large top to see if I, I could, I could make it work. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely prideful in that. And that's how it should be, should, especially if they want a good program. And that's yeah. So yeah, we well, you put in the equity to earn that sweatsuit. I think yeah, I, some, that's what some new all gear. the time. <laughs> yeah, the, the player of the year kind of usually gets you that. So your your Mountain West player of the year, you tear it up on the field. That's that's draft eligible year. It's the best year to do it. What was your your draft day experience like? As you you know, what was the wait for the ninth round like? And and how how signable were you really? I mean, you still had a year left. You didn't have to go. Um, obviously, you, you know, would be losing a ton of leverage if you went back. Right. But what was what was that process for you like deciding if you were willing to forego that last year? Um, it, it was kind of just it, it was it was it was an easy decision. Um, I obviously didn't know which round I was going to get drafted in, but you know, being at the University of Mexico Mount West, I couldn't have, I couldn't have done anything better that year. Like it, I wasn't going to come back and. And maybe I would have been able to come back and do it again, but you know, you got to play your odds at that moment. And so it was like, you know what, this is, let's see what happens. If I get drafted, I get drafted. And my goal was if I get drafted in before the 10th round, 10 or higher, like I'm going to go. If after that, I need to think about it. And I think that first day was over and the first, they would go the first five rounds. And I was like, well, I don't know. So I actually did a camp for the Lobos that um, that weekend just to kind of keep my mind off of everything. And 
my buddy was, you know, out on the field and he had been drafted before me. I don't know if you know, remember Chris Carlson, he had been, he'd been drafted the year before me and he came up on his, on his phone. He's like, Hey, yeah, you got drafted in the ninth round. I was like, Oh, okay, good. All right. Sweet. I guess, I guess I can go play pro ball now. <laughs> you signed pretty quickly. Was there any negotiation or was it just like, Hey, we're willing to pay you this. Take it or leave it. I think back then it was just like, you know, my agent at the time or, you know, my advisor turned agent at the time was just like, oh, we got a little bit more out of them. Your ninth round, your little bit of priority, which was good. And they're going to pay for your school. Perfect. There we go. (laughs) Did they tell you when you signed that they wanted you to catch? Like, when did you, how long after signing did you find that out? So I played my whole first year. I played my whole first year in Casper, Wyoming, and I played the infield. I played second, played short, played a couple games at third base, not a ton, maybe one or two. Um, and then I went to spring training the next year. So 08, I went to my first spring training. And I went through all spring training with the – I had, a, I had a, good, a good rookie, a good first year, good enough to go to low A. So I was with the whole the low A squad the whole the whole time up to the last day. So I played, and I had played every game. I played it. They were moving me everywhere at that time. I was playing first. I was playing second, short, third, and they just kept moving me around. And I played all thirty some odd games that we played that spring, except the last one. And I was like, oh well, maybe they're giving me a break or something. And at that time, the the field coordinator you know, tapped me on the shoulder during the game. It was probably like the second inning because I wasn't playing. He's like, hey, you need to come talk to the GM. So at that point, I was like, well, am I getting released? Like, I thought I played all right. Like in spring, I played good last year. Like, it's like, ah, so I was sweating bullets. And I remember walking in the room, talking to Bill Schmidt. I sat down and uh, the catching coordinator was behind me. And the field, our field coordinator was in there too. And I was just kind of puzzled and sat me down and said, you're going to be a catcher. I said, uh, I, I didn't know really. I was like, do I have a choice? He's like, nope, you're going to be a catcher. Or you're going to stay here and be a catcher. And then he asked me if I had gear, which I thought was the one of the stupidest questions. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, I don't. I think he was being a little, a little facetious at the time or whatever. And I was like, no, I don't have any gear. He's like, okay, we'll get you some. So yeah, it was after my first year. And then I, pretty much didn't play any infield for the next four years. I just learned how to catch. So before that, had you ever played wearing a cup? Because like in high school, I caught. So I was, I was, I was real used to it. And I went to college just as a PO. And it took me a while to not like, to not feel like I had to wear a cup (laughs) on the baseball field. Is there, did you wear a cup before? Cause when you catch, like you got to, you gotta, gotta protect. For sure, for sure. Well, I, I do um, credit that to the little league field we played on, which was it couldn't have been any better than a parking lot full of rocks, and we had bad hops all the time. So, my dad, you know, I had a cup. I was wearing a cup forever just because of that, <laughs> that field. And so, important. yeah, didn't have to, didn't have to adjust to that. I didn't have to so, adjust to that. <laughs> When you're when you're gearing up, they're like, "We're gonna get you some gear." Like, there's there's a lot that goes into that. You got to figure out what kind of helmet you like. You got to figure out what kind of mitt fits for you. What do you, I mean? It's that just on top of learning the position itself. Like, how what was that process like? It was it was a cluster. I had no idea what I was doing. I I 
I would have to go into the, the gym early in the, I couldn't even squat. I, you know, you're a pitcher. I mean, you're a position player the whole time. You, you're not getting in that position. And all of a sudden, like, that's the only position I, I am in for nine innings. So yeah, it was a cluster. I was definitely, I was definitely a mental midget for the first couple of years, especially what gear I needed, how it fits, what glove I need to use. Um, am I going to use knee savers at the time, which nobody uses anymore, but <laughs> it was like a thing then. It was like, am I going to, am I going to sell out and use the knee savers? And I was like, no, I'm too tough for those things. So yeah, it was, it was a lot of emotion going into that, especially picking your, your helmets and gear. Once you finally get out that, you know, they send you to, you know, they, they send you to the pioneer league. Like you actually, you get to play that year. Like they just, what, when you, when you, how much time each day are you spending working on catching? Like besides just the game, like how much goes into learning this entirely new position while you're also trying to adjust to your full, your first full season as a professional baseball player. And you're trying to hit professional pitching. I I remember there was one game I, I we I still have the record I think for being a part of the longest half inning in I think minor league baseball history um, I think it was like forty five minutes and we had a guy on the on the mound and we I still talk to him about this every once in a while Brad McAtee and he he kind of got the pitching yips that year. And then he's thrown to a guy who's really never caught in his life. Like I didn't, they didn't let me catch a full game until I got to actually to where, you know, to the full season. And we had the roughest inning. We had, he had like six, six hit, hit batters. There was like seven pass balls. There was like eight wild pitches, which probably should have all been, you know, pass balls. <laughs> and it just turned into the, my like the worst nightmare that possibly ever could happen on a baseball field. And I remember going up to the locker room, like during the uh, half inning, I texted my mom. I was like, I'm done. I'm like, I'm coming home tomorrow. Like I'm out of here. And I told the coach, I was like, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. Like, if you guys want me to catch, I'm done. I'm quitting. Can't do this. And obviously I stayed. So, which was a good, good call. Were there glimmers of hope during that year? Because obviously like a word, you made it some big leagues. Like, <laughs> During that season, what, did you have moments, at least like defensively, where you're like, you know what, I, I think I've, I'm getting a little better at this. I think I can do this. Or was it just like complete depression? <laughs> the glimmer of hope was the last game of the season when I put all my catcher's gear in a trash can and I lit it on fire <laughs> in, in the outfield. As the as our outfield coordinator was there watching me do it, and I was like, that was my highlight of my season. So, yeah, that, and I think I got a couple calls. Did from they like, send you to instructs after? Oh that? yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have to get new gear? Yeah, of course I had to get new gear. But <laughs> so yeah, and I think I got a couple calls like from the the front office, like, are you okay? Like after they, you know, obviously the outfield coordinator is gonna tell somebody that he's lighting his gear on fire on the outfield. But so, so that's your first off season. Then as a catcher, you, mm -hmm. you finish the season, you light your gear on fire, you do instructs, you head home, right? You've got, you've got a year's worth of catching on your legs. So that's, that's obviously something that that off season, probably a priority right. You're You still have to hit, you got to hit to get to the big leagues. Yeah. Where, where were you mentally in, you know, it about a year and a half of pro ball. Like, did you see a path to the big leagues? Was it, did you think about hanging it up? 
Uh, I think I think I did a lot of time. I really did think, you know, especially during that first year, uh, you know, if it wasn't for my, kind of my parents or my mom, you know, would always encourage me like, hey, I think you can do this. You know, I think you need to just kind of stay with it. Um, I think I would have been done a lot earlier than than what kind of transpired. But um, yeah, man, you, <laughs> just going into that off season, I was I was definitely. But you know, you're a competitor. You're a baseball player. You've had success. You know, I think eventually something kind of clicked, and I was like, okay, I got to do this. I got to, you know, I got to go for it, and kind of put my head down and got with our catching coordinator a couple off seasons. I said, Hey man, I, I need to get better. I needed, what can I do? And it was just a lot of reps and a lot of time and kind of a lot of reading of, you know, because you got to call the game. You got to know what you're doing behind that. You got to read swings. And, you know, there's a lot of experience that I missed out on, uh, especially early on, especially college that I, you know, I had to catch up with some of these guys. Does catching do anything for you at the plate? Like, was there anything, was there any direct correlation you could see? Um, I think so. I think you think about things differently. I, I, I definitely remember, especially low A when I got there and that was kind of my second full year of catching. And we had kind of had this thing in our organization where if, if certain guys, like if you missed with a certain pitch, you know, if you went, Oh, if you went one, Oh, you had to throw a fastball inside. Like it was a mandatory thing. I was like, oh, I wonder if other teams do that. And other teams did. Like they had certain mandatory, like if they missed or if they had, you know, if they got to 2-0 especially or, you know, 3-1, like it was a mandatory, like they had to throw either a fastball or maybe it was a 1-1 count and there was a mandatory off-speed count. So, yeah, I think it made me think about, start thinking about the game differently. Like, okay, there is some sequence of these things and I got to, kind of pay attention a little bit more maybe to the catcher or maybe to the team and, and their philosophy of how they feel like they need to pitch guys. So yeah, definitely. I think it made me a smarter hitter. How long in the, in the process of catching? So, I mean, you're essentially starting when you're 21 years old, um, throughout your career, did you, did you ever get to a point where you're confident in, in certain aspects? Like you call a breaker in the dirt, you feel confident that when it goes in, you're going to stop it or you're sticking the ball. Well, you're framing well, or you, you know, I, you feel confident calling a game. Like, does that, does that come with time or were you second guessing yourself for most of most of your career? It comes with time. It, do, it comes with time. And I think you do second guess yourself a lot. Um, especially in the beginning when you're a young catcher, especially once I got to AAA, and I was, you know, obviously on the 40 man at the time and I was a pro considered a prospect. Um, so I was going to be in there every day, but I had a, at, at that time, there was a lot more veteran players on that AAA staff than guys who had been in the big leagues, guys who had played for a long time, you know, we're kind of now, you know, you, you know, there's some AAA guys sprinkled in that have some experience, but not like it used to be. I mean, we had a full, we had a full team full of ex big leaguers and especially all the pitchers were ex big league guys. So having to deal with that right out the gate, they obviously helped me, but you know, you're back there second guessing when, when they're getting lit up and you're like, man, is this my fault? Is did I call the right pitch? Was that even the right pitch? Was the sequence too predictable? You know, you, you definitely second guess yourself, you know, you're getting thrown in the fire and you just kind of got to comes with experience and especially blocking balls. And, you know, you're getting used to pitchers. The more you see pitchers, 
you know, the better your, your receiving and blocking get. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a accumulation of a lot of things that kind of go into it. You win a batting title in the minor leagues. You hit 300 at every, you know, you get to double A, you hit the 300 at every stop. Like the bat is the bat is, is there as it can be really like you're, mm. you're putting up as good a numbers as you could hope for. It's not, it's not 408 as a freshman. That's pretty <laughs> Did, was there frustration in still being stuck in that position? Or did you feel like if you got the call, you'd be ready, even if it was behind the plate? Um, yeah, well, at that time, that's all I was playing. Like I, I literally went four years straight of just catching. So it was kind of ingrained, like, this is what I'm going to do the rest of my life. Like, and I was like, I, you know, I was getting better every year, you know, those first couple of seasons, you know, were a struggle, but you know, you, you get better. You just, you get a little more relaxed every time you're kind of catching the same guys from your organization. You're getting accustomed to it. And the game's kind of slowing down now. It's not as fast, um, especially when you first put on that gear. So, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I definitely thought I was in that position for, for the long haul and, that was what I was going to do. Can throwing a guy out at second base compare with hitting a home run? <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. I think it just depends on the timing of the game. I guess the time of the game. I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's nice, especially if it's a fast runner and, you know, you, you get, you just, you know, everything goes, everything goes perfect because it has to go perfect. Same thing with hitting. Everything's got to go perfect kind of to throw a guy out, but I mean, there's nothing like hitting a home run. You know that. There's, uh, I mean, everybody's watching you. Everybody, everybody on the other team's upset. Everybody on your team's happy. You're happy. There's nothing better than that. So walk me through the call up then. Finally getting through, you know, four years of catching and, and making it to the big leagues. Yeah, it was it was definitely another like kind of interesting thing. It was, they had kind of, you know, called down to AAA, you know, maybe a week before the season was over and I had been catching all year. I'd been catching the last four years. I hadn't played infield yet in a long time. They wouldn't let me take ground balls. They wouldn't let me do anything. So you just got to focus on catching. And they called the AAA manager and they're like, Hey, can you put Jordan at third for the last game? Out of nowhere. Like I haven't played third in I haven't played third ever, really. I played it a couple of games in the Pioneer League, but I haven't played it ever. And the coach is like, yeah, hey, and they, you know, asked me, hey, can you play third? I'm like, I, I have no idea if I can play third, but yeah, I guess I can play third. I don't know, like, why? He's like, I don't know. They want you to play third. So I played third in that triple leg, our last triple leg game. And my car was packed. It was ready to go home. Like, I was in Colorado Springs, a six hour drive down to Albuquerque. And I got in my car. I was about to get in my car and the skip called me in and he's like, Hey, you're going up to the big leagues tonight. I was like, cause we played a day game at day. I said, okay, cool. He goes, and you're, and you're starting at third base. I'm like, um, Oh, okay. Like you can do that. Right. I'm like, why well, do I have a, like, yeah, of course I can do that. I, <laughs> what, what do you want me to say? No, I'm good. I'm going to go home. Uh, so, so yeah, I, you know, you kind of, I got my whole car packed. I'm driving up. I'm calling my buddy. I'm like, hey, can I stay with you? Like, I'm coming up to Denver. He's like, yeah, for sure. So, you know, I get to the field and I'm playing third that night. And, you know, it kind of just, uh, it was kind of like catching for my first time. You know, you just got to kind of see what happens. 
have a go at it. So wait, do I have this right that you played in your AAA game that day and then drove up and played in the big leagues that night? Yeah. Or was it the next day? I think it was the next day. I want to say it was the next day. I drove up that night, played the next day. Oh, I was going to say that was a gnarly double head. Yeah, that would have been that. Well, I would have been okay with that. But yeah, I played the next day. (laughs) So I got to think all night about playing third base. Is there any panic being at third base when you in in front, you know, on at least regional television when uh, when you haven't played in years? Um, yeah, I think there is. I think um, <laughs> I think there's a lot of panic. Um, I think you're just um, yeah, the, but it's it's your dream, like right. You you finally start playing professional baseball, and you're like, you know, I, I'll do anything kind of to, to get that call up, and I'll do anything to to get there, and it doesn't matter how it looks. And yeah, I was nervous, but at the same time, like, you know, the Rockies were out of it. They weren't playing for anything. It, 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 the game didn't matter. Um, it mattered to me, but it didn't matter to the organization. It wasn't going to affect the record or anything. Um, but yeah, there was nerves, but you know, you're, you're prepared. You, you know, you're kind of at that triple a level. You have visions of yourself and whatever big league uniform you're in, you have visions of yourself, walking out of the tunnel you know you have you replay those over and over putting on that uniform for the first time and you're like you know you you can already you already have kind of done it in your head multiple times so that when it does happen you're like i've been here and then you get in the box and you know the guy throws the first pitch to you and you're like these lights are unbelievable i was like no wonder guys hit so well up here sometimes (laughs) You can see the yeah. you can see the seams out of his hand. I was like, "This is unreal." <laughs> it's, it's it's all the lights. It's that's, all that's the lights, the man. Game. It's all that makes them. <laughs> How clearly do you remember your first uh, big league home run? Um, uh, man, I mean, I, I remember it really clear. It was, I mean, it was great. It, you know, you're you're floating on air kind of when you do it. And, you know, you're not expect, you're not trying. I don't think any guy, I mean, there might be a couple guys who are like, I'm going up there trying to hit a home run. Um, you know, in your first couple at bats, I think it was my second game. I can't remember. Maybe my second game or something like that. I didn't hit a lot that year. Anyway, I hit like three. So I was like, there's no way I'm just trying to get a hit. I'm not going to hit a home run. And then it happens like the second or third game in. I'm like, all right. Who is it off? It was a left-hander named Maloney from the Reds. So Tommy, Tommy anyway, Malone, I not Malone, not Tommy Malone, Malone, Maloney. I can't remember his first name. I, I really didn't know who we were facing any multiple times. My first that September, <laughs> I was like, it's just another picture. I'm, I'm just going to hit well, <laughs> whatever works. Um, yeah. So in that September, they put you at third, they put you in a couple different spots. So you've gone from regular catcher guy to potential utility guy, like going into the off season. Did you, did you think that a tra- the trajectory of what you were going to be doing had changed? Like, are you like, Oh, I'm infielder catcher all over the, all over the place guy now. Or were you still like, Oh, I'm a catcher for the Rockies. You know, I, I asked them that every off season, I was like, Hey, what, what position would you guys like me to, you know, at that, after that, I was like, what position do you guys want me to work on this off season? Like, where do you see me? And I'm a hundred percent sure every time they told me what position they wanted me to play, I played the complete opposite position. So I think after my, after that season, they're like, we just want you to go back to catching, like just work on your catching. You know, we have, we have a first rounder that we got up here. We want to play third. 
you know, just go back to catching him. We, we see you kind of as our backup catcher. Perfect. So I went whole off season, went back to catching, you know, just trying to try to get better. I'm at the big leagues now. Like I got a good chance to make the team next year. So I'm like trying my best to just put everything into this catching and I get to spring training and it totally changed. It was like, well, we don't know what we're really going to do. So I caught all of spring training and then kind of when the season, I, I made the team, but they started putting me at third base toward the last, like, again, like the last week of the of spring training, and I started playing third base a little bit more. And so I was like, oh man. So yeah, that's kind of when the whole roller coaster and circus of, I never knew what position I was going to play. And every time I did it in off season and they told me which one to focus on, it was complete opposite every year. So you spend the next couple years on the big league roster, you know, with the Rockies, a little time with the, uh, with the D backs and the reds. So with being a guy who plays all these different positions, what is like your, your day at the ballpark? Like, obviously you're taking cuts at some point, but are you like, I'm going to go work at ground balls at this spot, or I gotta, you know, I gotta catch, I gotta do something like what goes into that? Like how different were your day-to-day routines? It's, it's just a lot of confusion. Most of the time it's me just running around kind of like with my, my head cut off, trying to figure out what I'm actually supposed to be doing at the baseball field that day. So, <laughs> it, you know, but you know, I, I learned kind of towards the end, just, you know, I, I can't get, I can't be prepared for everything. Um, I got at some point just believe in that I can do it if I go out there. Um, obviously I want to work and, and be ready for every position the best I can, but you know, when you, when you get that utility role stamped on you, you're kind of limited and you're not going to, you, you got to accept that you're not going to be, you're not, it's going to be tough, especially, I mean, maybe if I was just a utility infielder, maybe a little bit of outfield, but when you kind of mix that catching in, it kind of changes everything. You know, you're, you're tired if you're catching then you go to the infield, your legs are different and then you got to hit. It's So I think I just kind of accepted that. I knew I wasn't going to be the best, but I just had to be the, you know, the best I could possibly be and just to see, to see what kind of happened every day. Once you break into the big leagues, you start, that means, it means big league paychecks. It means the, the big league minimum. <laughs> does it like, how does it change how you live, how you train? Like what, what about getting to that level makes it, easier to get better in certain ways uh, well I, uh, you definitely don't have to get a job in the off season like you, you're like okay i got you know i survived on a thousand bucks a year for the last you know four or five years like so uh, you know then you get a couple big league paychecks and you're like oh okay i actually don't have to get a job i don't have to do lessons i don't have to work at tropical smoothie anymore i i can focus on baseball a little bit and yeah, I can maybe have a little bit more fun too. I can go hang out with my friends a little bit more, um, be social. Um, so yeah, it definitely changes kind of that aspect. You can focus on the game. You're a professional now. You, not like you were before, you weren't before, but there was just, you know, you had to pay your dues and you had to grind through it. You had to, you know, again, college taught me a lot. Taught me how to save my money too. Taught me how to be disciplined. Taught me how to know which situation I was in and, how to live within my means. So yeah, definitely, definitely changes things when you get to the big leagues a little bit. 
with with big league pitchers, we we talked about adjustments earlier. You know how do college guys adjust? College guys aren't getting the kind of data that big league guys are getting. Like mm-hmm. your your first year, you know, you hit three oh nine. It's a lot of hot stretches. It's a long season. I'm sure that's a lot of adjustments. Like how quickly with with that that data they get, the scouting reports, stuff like that. How quickly would you notice? changes in how you're getting you know how you're getting pitched especially seeing it from you know behind the dish too when you know like hey we got to do this to this guy and so on and so forth um yeah it's it, it's kind of cool at the big leagues um because usually pitchers at that point they know exactly kind of what they're good at and you can kind of see what they're good at and they're not going to veer too far from who they are as pitchers. They're obviously going to attack your, you know, your kind of certain weaknesses at some point. Um, but if, you know, especially being a rookie, they were never going to kind of veer from who they were to try to get me out. You know, they weren't going to, you know, they weren't going to die on that mountain. Like, Oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to give into this guy because he can't hit this, but, but I don't throw that well, you know, they're going to stick to their guns for the most part. And I think that's what was really cool about the big leagues is, is, you know, you kind of knew when they were going to kind of make an adjustment and they were going to actually throw the ball where they were going to try to throw it, you know, for the most part. Um, so that was what was, you know, and you could sit on maybe a corner of the plate or cert- a certain pitch a little bit more than maybe at the lower levels because their execution was just better. You know, you throw a cutter this point, it's probably going to be pretty close, you know, right there. So, or their, their fastball in, it's probably going to be pretty in right where you want it to be. So, yeah, I think that was like the coolest part. You got, you could, you just got more video, you got more data, you got more things, more information. And that was what was really cool is kind of being able to, to see that and, and, and use it. That rookie season from from an offensive perspective ends up being the best year of your career. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's but it's it's also the year you got the most regular playing time. You get to play in 132 right. games. Does is that kind of what you point to is not being able to replicate that kind of success down the road and just irregular playing time, irregular rhythm, things of that nature? Um. Yeah. I mean, the playing time is so crucial. And I think in the, in a thing that I kind of got into, which I was really at the time, I, I, I didn't like it all was kind of that pinch hit role. And kind of when you don't play every day and you get into that pinch hit role, it, it, it starts messing with your brain. Cause you don't really learn how to pinch hit. You don't do any pinch hitting until you get to the big leagues. And you got to all of a sudden learn this new thing that you never even thought about in your life is you got one at bat today. You need to, to get a hit or you need to do something productive and you might not get one for another three days. So, so make it worth it. So that kind of my second year having to deal with that um, was something that um you know, was definitely challenging, but yeah, there was just so many things, especially like, but yeah, getting regular playing time all the time, it helps, especially at the big league level. And so that's, yeah, that's, it, it just helps a lot. What are the logistics behind being DFA'd as uh, <laughs> Rockies did you in 2014? Cause like as a fan, you know, you see the transaction, you see, you know, Rockies right. DFA Jordan Pacheco signed by the Diamondbacks. Right. What is that experience like for the player who has to, to go through that mentally travel wise, you know, everything going on with that? 
Yeah, it, it's something that at the time I was I was kind of relieved that they DFA'd me because uh, I, you know, every, I, I started out that year. Um, I started out a couple of years playing really well, especially in 13. I started out playing really well. Todd Helton went down and I was getting my regular at bats for the t- first two, th- two, three months. And I was, and I was playing well, like, and then kind of once he came back, that was kind of, I got, you know, I got put on the bench. Like they, there just wasn't a spot for me because it was nice that I could play every position, but I wasn't good enough to start over the guys who were at those positions. So it was kind of a double-edged sword. It's like, you're good enough to be on the team, but you're not good enough to play every day if all our guys are healthy. So, so yeah, like, you know, that kind of made me a little upset. And then I think I came back the next year and it was the same kind of thing. You know, I wasn't playing all the time. I was having to catch, I was having to play the infield. I was having to just do all these things that, you know, it, it was just a day that like every day was just different for me. And, you know, I was still young. I was, you know, 27 or something like 28. And, you know, they finally had called me in. They're like, Hey, I think I caught that night. And they're like, Hey, we're going to DFA you. We're going to designate you. And I was, I was like, thank goodness. Like get me out of here. Um, I need to go somewhere else. Like where I got a chance kind of, maybe to start playing new or at least just get a, a position where I know I'm going to be there every day. So, yeah, that was, you know, it, it's sometimes it's relieving for guys because they can just go somewhere else. Sometimes guys are upset. I was happy. I kind of got a new experience and I got to meet new guys and yeah, I got to just go somewhere else and, and, and still play baseball. Were you married at the time? <laughs> did you have to have the, the call to your wife and be like, Hey, guess what? We're moving to Arizona. <laughs> no, but I, I did the, my, my wife who, who I, who I'm now married to, we were dating at the time and she was the same way. She was relieved because she kind of saw what I went through the last two years. And, you know, it was, I needed to go somewhere else. I needed to change. So she was kind of happy and we went to Arizona and she had friends in Arizona. I had friends in Arizona and, was you know it was kind of it it was just you know kind of a thing you just follow what god's plan is for you and you just just enjoy the ride is you you get sent back to triple a for a little bit uh during you know your last couple years is is triple a less enjoyable after you've gotten gotten the call like what's triple a like i guess kind of like on the way back down versus on the way up uh i think at first it's very it's it's probably the most challenging baseball i've ever had to play because you go, you have this experience of the highest level for a good, you know, a good amount of time. And, you know, you're playing in front of the fans and all, and, you know, wherever you go, there's, you know, 20, 30,000, 40,000 people. You don't have to get yourself ready for a game anymore. Like the game gets you ready to play, which, you know, you, you do get yourself mentally, but you, you know, you just, you go out there and it's, it's baseball and you're like, man, it doesn't matter what mood you're in. You step on a big field, put on that jersey. It's just, it's, just, it's just a different feeling. But then when you kind of go back down to AAA, it's not the same anymore. And you, you don't have the crowds. You don't have that extra motivation that you're used to getting, that extra adrenaline, that extra rush when you're in the box that kind of locks you in. But, okay, it's game time. You lose all that and you don't realize – you know, obviously you never had it when you were coming up, like you just, it was just part of, 
baseball, you know, that's, but once you kind of get to that level and come back down, it definitely was challenging. It, and the first few times I did it, it, it was a struggle. I, I remember, you know, calling some of my mental coaches be like, I can't get ready to play this game. I'm not excited to play. I'm not excited to play. And like you deal with those, those, that wave of emotion all day, all day. And then you expect to always be in the big leagues, <laughs> but you realize that there's, they're good. They're the best baseball players in the world. And you're not one of them anymore. You got to figure it out. So there's, there's so many things that kind of go into the, to the mental side of it on that kind of that way back down. And, but then you get used to it. And then you kind of, once you kind of, it, it was a real ego check for me. And once I was able to kind of put that aside and, and get rid of that ego, man, I enjoyed AAA baseball the last few times I got to play it. And I enjoyed the guys. I enjoyed just being at the baseball field and helping guys out, like just watching them get called up or, or get to, you know, the first time they got to put on that uniform. It was like, I actually felt a part of that. So it was a good life lesson for me for sure. And I would not change that for the world. Same kind of question with going to indie ball then playing for, for long Island. Cause I know we've had guys in the show who after a long time in the minor leagues going to indie ball, kind of a brush breath of fresh air as far mm-hmm. as, you know, playing to win stuff like that. Yeah. Did you, were you able to take in kind of the same experience in, in that regard? Yeah, it's the same thing. And you're, you, you know, you're kind of not pigeonholed by the politics of baseball and you're, you're playing baseball at a very pretty high level. It's, you know, indie baseball is good baseball. I think that's the thing too. Everybody, I think in the beginning thinks it's a check, you know, they're like, ah, this is a shot. I'm not a good baseball player anymore, but you get there. And I, I mean, some of those guys who, you know, maybe got to double a or maybe high a, who never got a chance after that are, are good baseball. You realize like, man, there's some good baseball players and you're playing with some ex big leaguers and you're like, man, this is fun. And everybody's there for the, for one reason they want to play. They want to keep playing. They love baseball and yeah, they would love a shot again, but for the moment they just want the competition and it's great competition. Do you have a Lou Ford story from your time at long Island? <laughs> oh man. Lou Ford. He's a special person. He can hit, man. That guy is unbelievable. He's 40. Indie, indie ball legend. He's Ford. Yeah, he's 40 something. I can't even, I don't even know how old he is. He's got the most hits, I think, finally. I think in Ducks history. Um, man, I know he was our hitting coach. He was supposed to be our hitting coach my, every time I was there, but I don't know if I ever saw him throw BP or. <laughs> or set up BP for anything, but he was our hitting coach. But <laughs> I mean, he, that guy, I mean, that guy, he's incredibly fast. That's what I was like surprised. Like that man could still run a good 90 down, um, down the line. And he didn't have to get, he didn't have to get ready much to, to play a baseball game. He, I think he just had to smoke one of his cigs and he was good to go. <laughs> that is what I have heard about Lou Ford. That is a I gotta get that guy on the podcast at some point. So you do uh, you do any ball? You do some Dominican Winter League time. Uh, you play in in uh, in Lexington this past year, and then what was you know what was kind of the linchpin in deciding? Hey, it's time to to move on from playing, get into coaching. I had kind of gone into that to last year. It's kind of like okay, this is going to be you know I'm going to give it one last go. My kids are getting older. They're you know, there, there were three and, you know, two at the time. Now they're, I mean, whatever, four and two. Um, 
you know, I just wanted my, my, want them to enjoy the baseball game a little bit. My daughter enjoyed it so much in 2019 when I played with Seattle and I played in Mexico and Monclova. She just loved coming to the games. And my little guy was getting old. He was two at the time, you know, last year. And he, he loved coming in the locker room. He loved, you know, we had, we had Brandon Phillips kind of on our team. So, you know, and Brandon Phillips has given them both knuckles before he goes up to hit. And I'm like that, like, they don't know who Brandon Phillips is, but you know, we do. And, you know, I'll be like, Brandon hey, Phillips gives off like good with kids vibes. Oh, he's a great with kids vibes guy. <laughs> so he, you know, and my, my wife's got pictures of it all the time. And, and so, yeah, I went into that last, like last year, like, okay, this is going to be it if something doesn't happen and I'm going to give it, the first half of the season and if nothing happens then i'm gonna i'm gonna move on like i you know you got to prepare yourself for that because it's definitely it's a definitely very emotional thing to do like it's i didn't think it was going to be like i thought it was just going to be easy but it was not it was not at all at all so did you know your last game was going to be your last game uh, like that day at the ballpark <laughs> you're like this is this is it um i did because they were they were, you know, moving the mounds back and, oh yeah, and I was, and I, you know, I'd already been kind of part of their project with the robo umpire and, uh, you know, I was kind of like, you know, I, we had a, we had some meetings with some of the guys. I even called some of the guys at the MLB and like, Hey, like do you guys really want to do this. Are you guys serious about it? And they were serious and, you know, there was no change in their mind. And I, you know, I said, okay, I talked to the GM. I said, Hey, for Lexington, I was like, if they do this, like I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be it. I'm not spending the last half of my career trying to hit something I've never hit before. Like, I know it might help me, but it could also, I could also go down, you know, never hit well again. So I was playing well and I wanted to end. And so, yeah, I didn't know it was, I didn't know it was my last game unless some miracle happened. So what were those ABs like? Like you're digging in for the last time. I don't think they were, I mean, at that point, you just, you're just, you're happy to be out there. You, you're just really enjoying that last little bit of competition that you're going to, you're going to be on the side. And, you know, I'm looking at my kids and I'm just, you know, they're, they're at the game, looking at my wife and you're just trying to enjoy kind of every, take everything in for the last time that you're, you know, you, it's not like I'm never going to be at the baseball field. I'm going to be at the baseball field forever now, but, <laughs> but as a player, yeah, you're, you're just, you know, you're making sure that you're, you know, it, I was in a good mood the whole day. It was just, you know, kind of finally, finally, like it, you made it. Like that's kind of how I was like, I made it. All right. I did a lot happy. I'm proud of what I did. Proud of the things that I went through. I don't need to go through any more of that stuff anymore. I'm ready to, ready to get onto the next thing. You hang up the cleats and your your first look at the next thing is, you know, the Ray Birmingham had, had hung it up as well at UNM. You took a, a look at that job. What is what was that process like? And I mean, I I say are you is, is college baseball the long term goal? I mean, I don't know if it is. I mean, last year it was kind of like I said, it was kind of always falling in place like you know coach b was stepping down I, I was kind of getting into the coaching stuff and i had gotten a couple calls like hey that you know you know you're considered for it so i made sure you know obviously coach b had been talking to me about it like hey they you know, got a good chance 
Um, so yeah, it was something like, man, if I could step into a head coaching role right out of playing, that would be fantastic, especially at the college level. But there was a lot I needed to learn about that level. There's there's a lot that goes into it, um, especially for a head coach. I mean, you gotta, you know, you, you gotta deal with you gotta deal with fundraising, you know, you gotta deal with with kids, you know, grades, you gotta follow compliance, you gotta deal with rules and and so I, I think there was a lot of things. I was up for the challenge for sure, and I definitely was ready to do it. I was prepared the best I could be. Um, but, you know, and I had some good conversations with the ADs, you know, with, with Eddie and um, with Dave Williams over at UNM. And ultimately, kind of, it was just the experience thing that I just didn't have. And I, and I, and I understand that. I do understand that. Like, to be a college coach, you got to know a lot. You got to have that under your belt. So, but yeah, I think, I think eventually, yeah, I would love to coach college baseball. I think down the road, I don't know when, um, but I think as being a family guy, you're, you're kind of in one place for one time, you know, all year and you're not moving around. Um, but which I kind of got lucky with my AAA hitting job being in Albuquerque, we had moved here. Um, so yeah, so, so yeah, I think down the road, definitely college is, is in the forecast, but as of right now, we're kind of just going to play the pro side out and see where that goes. With this gig being a hitting coach, this is a very simple question, but like, what does a good hitting coach do? All the way up the ladder, I'm sure you had a different one at most of your levels. I'm sure you've seen things that you want to emulate or incorporate into your mm-hmm. teaching style. What what does a good hitting coach bring to the table? I think they're, I think they're great listeners, and I think they they talk you know, they're always positive, you know, there's never, there's never anything negative about how they handle their business. And I think that's definitely how you have to approach the hitting side is, you know, you've got, you know, you got, you know, 13 different guys, 12 different guys on your roster. And, you know, throughout the season, you're going to have more, you just have to be, you know, you have to be like every, like a, like a coach, like a manager, you got to be a constant. You can't, you can't come in. You can't be upset. You just got to keep even keel and you got to just teach the game of baseball. And I think that's the thing I learned most or best from my, my best hitting coaches is just learning the game, learning to watch the game of baseball where we have all the information have all the data we have, every pitcher, what he throw, you know, his percentages and probability on 2-0 or 2-1, 2-2, you're going to have all that stuff. But the most important thing is to watch the game and, and see what the game's giving you because that's going to make you the best hitter. And what does the game tell you that you need to do in this situation? And, and I think that's what, you know, kind of the game is missing a little bit because we're all trying to hit home runs, which there's nothing wrong with that. But there's certain, you know, if you want the game of baseball to be entertaining and exciting, those are the things that are missed is is knowing the game and, and understanding what you have to do at the plate. So with with all the hindsight that, you know, you, you gained from your career, if you could go back, give yourself a pep talk at age 21 right after signing, what does that pep talk look like? <laughs> I don't know if I needed one after 21. I needed one probably uh, maybe maybe uh, after they told you you were catching. <laughs> yeah, I needed about I needed a couple after my first year of catching. I needed one then. I I needed I needed you know an older version of me to come, 
you know, grab me by the neck a little bit and slap me around a little bit and, and tell me, hey, you know, stop being a baby. It's going to be okay. Just show up. Might have helped a little bit. It probably would have. I got a quick rapid fire for you and then I'll yeah. let you get out of here. Favorite minor league ballpark? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and disqualify Albuquerque. You've just got too much history there. Um, Asheville was awesome for me. The tourists, that was just a great little stadium. Favorite Mountain West ballpark? When I played or now? This will change the conference changed up a little bit since I was. <laughs> let's go with let's go with when you play. Okay, um, and I can't say I love San Diego State. I mean, I love that, that ballpark. BYU, beautiful. I've seen. Uh, I've always seen the. I see the pictures of BYU and that. Yeah. That, them and them in uh, in Salt Lake. Salt Lake. That's another thing. Yeah, man. And that's a, that's a, that's a stadium we played at when we played Utah all the time in Salt Lake. So, man, I'll go with Salt Lake. I love that. That yeah, Salt Lake. That mountain view is, mm-hmm. is nuts. Yeah. Uh, best pitcher you ever faced? And all in everything. Everything. Oh, man. I mean, it'd have to be Kershaw. I got Kershaw in his prime, and that was not – that's not – that was never fun. What is what does the breaker look like from the from the batter's angle? We only get the behind the pitcher. You don't see it because the whole time he's pounding you in with his like little his fastball that cuts somehow light the last second, and he's pounding you in with sliders, and then all of a sudden he throws you back to a curveball that looks like it's a mile away, and it's it's right on the outside corner, and you have no chance. Just pure filth. Uh, yeah. Best pitcher you ever caught. Ooh. Man, mm, yeah, that's a wow. That's a big. You could either say best or like nastiest stuff. Nastiest stuff, man. I man, because my first when I first, see the guys were nastier when I was first catching because I I wasn't a good catcher, so they were all right, everyone. <laughs> the soft tossing lefties were nasty. Yeah, they were nasty. They had all their own little quirks. Um, Man, you know, I guess I'll go with the best. I mean, obviously, the best slider I ever caught was Adam Adovino. Oh, um, that was that was re- he was a great pitcher, but that slider was was something else. Um, I, I caught it. I caught. Um, gosh, who else did I? Get? I caught Jorge De La Rosa, and he was one of the m- more impressive pitchers that could throw every everything. And I, he, I think to this day, he has the best ERA in Coors Field. I think he has like a two something there, which is un, incredible achievement. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Like, it's nobody goes out of there without a five, like, and is okay with it. Everybody's okay with a five. Like, he had a career like two, seven something. The last question, the thing I ask everyone on this podcast, do you have a nightmare bus ride story from the minor leagues? Man, usually the nightmare ones are the, the best ones because they just, you know, <laughs> you never forget them. Um, man, I mean, there were there were times we, you know, we got flat tires in the middle of nowhere. Like, like there's just multiple. Like, I think my first year, there was no trip in the Pioneer League under seven hours. And at you know when you're in the pioneer league you have there's no limit on your roster and that's kind of when they're bringing over all the dominican players as well so like i was literally there was maybe four or five of us americans on that team 
and the rest, we had 40 guys. We had 35 um, Latinos on the team and Dominican players, and we're all doubling up for seven hours. And so <laughs> those were just, you know, you're, you're and you're leaving after games, coming, trying to come back, playing the next day. Like, they're just nightmares. They're all nightmares at that point. You're just trying to find some beauty and, you know, a sunrise every once in a while that, because you're not sleeping. So, yeah. <laughs> There's almost no such thing as a good bus ride. No. Jordan Pacheco, that is all I've got for you. Thanks so much for joining from Phenom to the Farm. No, I appreciate it, brother. I had a good time. Thank you. And that's it for today's episode with former big league catcher Jordan Pacheco. If you enjoy this episode, subscribe wherever you get your podcast, rate and leave a review if you're on Apple Podcast or Spotify, and tune in in two weeks. We'll catch you then. Thanks for listening. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.